Promise no promises. Going to the limits of your longing. The podcast Promise No Promises unfolds a further series. Going to the limits of your longing, research as another name for care. This collection of episodes emerged from a master symposium held in spring 2021 at the Institute Art, Gender, Nature, FHNW Academy of Art and Design in Basel. The contributions to the symposium were devoted to ideas and forms of artistic research that center art as a practice in service of the social. They revisit certain moments in our recent history and present of researching, producing and exhibiting art in the name of such beliefs, namely social justice. Once upon a time, or just a couple of decades ago, women artists from various and diverging geographies began to query and study the gap that has traditionally existed between artistic and non-artistic labor. As artistic labor came to be understood as more representative of society's functioning as a whole, new questions concerning the political dimension of art and the role of the artist in contemporary society came to life. Research has often been the term applied to the act of inquiring into the post-colonial past and neo-colonial present, an inquiry whose very substance gives voice to the need to revise the fundaments of our unachieved and fragile democracies, their languages, tools, forms of violence and myriad legacies. The symposium was dedicated to the memory of Marion von Osten, the artist, curator, researcher, writer and teacher whose curatorial, theoretical and altogether empathic approaches to the medium of exhibition making revolved around artistic research devoted to the collective. Under her exemplary influence, we examined the moments when exhibitions became filled with archives, with documents of testimonies and documentaries of testifying moving images. Institutions suddenly saw the need to create collective collections. It was the beginning of a transformation that, since then, has undergone many turns and many faces, but that remains at the core of understanding art as a practice that serves the social and all the forms of justice, and its opposite, that enumerated. With contributions at the Symposia by Maria Teresa Alves, Ursula Biemann, Regina Bittner, Barbara Casavecchia, Anja Kirschner, Kabuani Kawanga, Maria Lind, Otto Bongkanga, Lydia Urachman and Miriam Amrun, Filippa Ramos, Kerstin Starkemeyer, as well as Yvonne Volkert and Peter Spielmann. Care by Antwerp-based multidisciplinary artist Ottobong Kanga, who focuses on the relation between environment, architecture and history. So I'll start with the poem that I wrote and I've been writing continuously, so I have many versions of it, but I think I will start with the second version of my poem, which is quite long. 
Um, and I think it gives a kind of feel and a kind of how things are intertwined and the way I'm thinking in relation to poetry, in relation to my work, in relation. So I'll start read or feel. And the poetry is a way of combining all these different kinds of emotions, knowledges, um, texts, um, feelings into one place. So the work itself is called Early Sunday Morning. And sometimes it's also called The Haze. Early Sunday morning, skies blur. The crowd roars through the streets. Raised in tear gas and fog, acid rain and fire, silence and fears, anger and desires, braised in scalding hotness, slowly cooked pain and rage, ready to strike. Early Sunday after morning, the gas flares and strains, one, two, three, four, five senses. Now there's nothing to lose. The haze, early morning blues, taint my skin hues. While will it be lighter or a darker brew? A day after the morning fest and so I woke to another being broke and so we woke. Do you doubt what you see with your eyes, with your own eyes when being woke? We sat and looked at the stars in the stark darkness. You're revealing yourself, oh little being. You reveal your light, your glow, only to blow my mind, knowing how far you are, how grand you are, how old you are. You grow, oh little being, as another one goes broke. Late night blues taint my heart's hues. Late night falls, while will it be heavy, burdened with fear? After the feeds infect my early morning views, the daily swipes, the monthly swipes, slowly wipes my point of views. The daily vibes, the lengthy vibes, slowly grinds my view of you. And so I woke to another being broke. So we lay days on end floating, gloating. The pressure digs deep as the world moves on. The light blinks on faintly, lamely, breathing each other as we lay, searching ways to end, ways to numb, ways to bend, ways to blow, ways to float, ways to strain, ways to score, ways to fall. And so we walk to another being rogue. The riots begin with myriads of folks crowding the center to create the haze, the gray haze that thickens towards the core. Carbon rich dust molecules illuminates like starlight. And so we were woke and then we broke into the race to avoid the mace that swells around the weakened nerves of waking glands. And so we grew bustling hubs, yellow-red patches, thermal glows of young stars, external blows, crackling, fragile scars. Although we broke, new stars are formed, 
born from gases, sweat and ashes. Now they are awoke. So I'll start with this image, um, which was um, an image that uh, was taken when I was in Namibia. And so I'm starting from a place of just observing, observing a landscape and what that landscape reveals to you, what you can actually see, um, the distance um, that you're looking at, the kinds of horizons and elements that you're able to see in a far distance. One of the things that was um, that that I found really interesting was that the person I was with who lived in Namibia, he could actually see things very far. He could see animals moving. He could see things that I could not see. And he'd say, hey, look at that. Can you see that moving there? And I would be, oh, I see nothing. So I got to realize that the notion of even seeing, um, especially living in places that are crowded or living also like here in Antwerp or in different parts of the world, that that possibility to observe becomes very um, reduced when things are so close to you. Um, and so that was one of the things that I kind of realized when I was there just walking through that landscape that what can one actually see? When something is so close to you, what do you, um, and it's so near, so um, in your face, so present, are you still able to see through the kinds of constructs or the kinds of structures that are in front of you. So that was for me a very strong or important thing that I took away with me in relation to even looking at work or making work or trying to understand what a landscape um, can offer and what I can see. Um, so I'm showing you here the can mines. This is around 1911. Um, or nine, between 1904 and 1911. These were mines that were um, regions that were developed and uh, for the, by the Germans, for the Germans and for the resources that they needed. So these were copper mines in Usakos, or the way it's pronounced in Usakos, because you hit <laughs> the tongue. Um, and when I visited it, um, afterwards and looking at the ruins. And that's why I talk about that notion of design. And design for me um, enters into a place of how one thinks and how one creates to be able to render something functionable for a place, for an ideology, for any kind of thing that it's made for. So the idea of this design were actually administrative structures implanted and, and made within a space that should allow minerals um, to flow out of Usakos, Namibia, into Germany, and a place where everything that was taken out was recorded. So this design was not made for the local people, was not made for it was an alien kind of project that entered into a place and wasn't at all considering the place it was um, being implanted in. It was only there and by design for the purpose of taking out things and for Germany and for Europe in a way. Um, but once that purpose is gone, how is that place restituted? How is it remediated? How is it repaired? How is it thought through for the locals or the people that will then live within those spaces and inherit the debris and the ruins that are within those spaces? 
Um, so when I visited, what you see are just ruins. Um, so most people go there to do their shooting. Um, and But you just see that it's left in a place of disrepair, of ruins. Um, and what does that do to a psychology of a place, of a people, of the land? And what am I not seeing? There was one of the parts that I visited, which had a very deep hole that was in the ground. Of course, you would go in with a shaft to go underneath the ground. So all what I'm seeing from the surface is just the administrative buildings. But what is underneath it is not what is attainable for my eyes. So that notion of design and relationship to invisibility becomes very important in the way of constructing um, the colonial narrative, the what you hide, what you render invisible, and what you are able to put forward as what is the what we should be able to see. And um, and I think these were things that I was really um, interested in in that during that time or even till now um, on the idea of that notion of shine and the obscure and how a place, um, the, the idea of constantly um, reminding us or putting us in front of something that shines, something that glows, something that shimmers and the places where the obstructions or the, um, uh, the penetrations that are taken in and the digging in or the extractions that are taken in, taking place in certain places are constantly left obscure. And that for me is, um, is a mode and it's a design that is, has been um, implemented, how do you say, intentionally. So we do not get to know how our, what we are holding, the tangible shines that we are working with, how they are actually um, affecting another part in the world. Um, so I will go to the story of the anthill. And that for me was a very interesting observation I was making in being in Namibia and in that landscape and thinking about the anthill itself. So while driving through the landscape, you would find thousands, I mean, thousands of anthills scattered um, in the landscape. And, and it started to make me think about the, the negative and the positive. And if we have to imagine an anthill, we have to imagine that the size of this I call it the skyscraper for the anthills, is also the amount of earth that is dug out from underneath the ground. And so it made me think of all the kinds of different structures. If we have to imagine, for example, when I visited Shanghai, all these buildings, the glass, if we had to imagine Dubai, all the buildings, the glass, the, all the structures that are getting higher and higher, um, what does that mean in relation to the holes in different parts of the world? So how, when we look at the levels of mines, they, they're almost like an inverted skyscraper. So the deeper you go, the more you can extract more minerals, more material. And when you think of the ant, you actually think of it in that same way that that amount of soil that is taken out of the ground is actually the reflection of the amount of 
volume of the positive that we see. So this was for me a kind of reference point to reflect on that notion of the positive, what is obscured, what you do not see, and what is actually protruding as something that is a new design, but is coming out of the destruction of another kind of um, place and space. Um, and, and then I visited also um, different, uh, one of the smelters, one of the old smelters, in Sumeb, which is the northern part of um, Namibia. And, and what was interesting here was that um, I was there for a few days and I could actually start having issues around my breathing um, because this was a smelter that would allow for, um, it's one of the few smelters in the world that will separate from copper, the arsenic and, and leave that in the landscape. And then the copper will then be taken out into other parts of the world. But the copper was coming from Europe, from Bulgaria, into by the sea, a swap commune, driving all the way to Sumeb up north. And then the extractions and the separations will take place by taking out the arsenic. And then the copper will be taken out. So it was, um, you would hear actually the blows um, of the smelter because it's using cold water, um, very cold water at the same time with hot to cool down the, the material. And so you would have internal explosions and you'd hear the, the city shake. But at the same time, you would have the dust, the particles, the, and that for me is linked to that notion of um, the invisibility, things that are floating through the air that affect the body, that affect the lungs, that affect the kinds of structures that have been in place from ancestral times till now. And so the body is transforming, but we're not seeing that transformation that is happening to the body. The body is being affected, infected, and at the same time, one does not realize over time what is happening in that landscape. But just being there for a short while, I also noticed a lot of people were spitting, were um, coughing, were, um, and also a certain kind of sluggishness in the body. And so you're observing these things in the landscape and wondering, are they interconnected? And in what way are they interconnected? So I think we're talking about that notion of care um, and, and if care is not, let's say, part of the design of, let's say, an enterprise or a nation state or, or a certain kind of, um, let's say, institution or education, what results out of that? And I feel that I think when working on the project like Calf to Flow, which I did later on in 2019, the idea on 2017, the, it was very important to be able to think about that notion of within the designing of the project, within the way of the constellation, the way of putting things together was to also think about what are the residues of places of extractions and what does it mean to extract from a place, from a people, uh, from knowledges, indigenous knowledges. What does it mean to take things, appropriate, use, and then don't um, go back to the place of reference 
or to the place of extractions. So I don't just think of extractions as just only resource or material, but I also think of it as ways in which we take from knowledges of other places and completely exclude them within the, the, the discourses or the, the discussions that take place around, let's say, the product that is made. Um, and so it was important to think about this. And this was one of the things I was thinking of um, when preparing or even thinking further for CAF to flow or thinking of works of like in pursuit of bling. And um, this was the site of the Sumeb mine before the Germans arrived in the region. And this was a mountain that was or a hill that was covered with malachite and azurite. They called it the green hill. So it was totally green. And these, this is a stone that I took an image of the stone at this mine site. So we can imagine what this mountain could have looked like. The green is the malachite, the blue is the azurite. Um, and this is what it became as time went on with the extractions um, that took place. It was one of the most amazing mines because it had over 250 minerals and ores um, that, were, can, that was in one site, which is quite rare because you don't have so much minerals and ores within one um, site itself or one pocket. But at the, when I visited it, there was something very emotional because this comes back to that notion of, um, of design itself. And when something falls into a place of ruin, debris, and the remain that is trying to come back to its source. That means when we think of all this metal sheets that were used to construct the houses or the structures, slowly becoming rust and slowly trying to go back to earth. Um, and at the same time, you see the remains. We have that, we see that here in, in Europe itself. Like I live in Belgium and you still you start seeing the decays of certain industries. Um, when I went to Cornwall, you also see the remains and the decays of um, mining um, pits. And these were the very early mining pits that um, were tin mines and um, up north in Cornwall. Um, and the funny thing is that all the designs that you will see of this kinds of extractions were exported to every part of the world, many parts of the world. And you see this remains of a specific kind of design, a specific kind of time, and they have the same kind of function. But that function did not incorporate within itself the idea of the care of that landscape and what will happen after the resources are gone. What will happen when nothing is left. And that thinking process stopped only at the point of only extractions, but did not further go deeper into the remains of what will be there and what, how will that affect the local people, the plants, the water system, water bodies, and trees, the rocks, um, and all the elements that are um, non-human forms, um, are not considered within this type or this ideas 
that go with a specific design that was imported mainly within the from the West um, down into many other structures, many into on other nation states, and um, so that idea that possibility of thinking that actually one can incorporate within the way of making, the way of thinking, the multiple steps of even let it be, let's say, extractions into places of reparation, places of remediation, of um, repair, of giving time, of breathing, of um, uh, restructuring. And I think that's one of the things that I'm interested in looking at, at the work, within the work and finding a way of um, connecting with that. So while being there with the mines, I would go every day in the morning from five and perform for the mines. I, there are different performances that I make for people, um, human beings, but there are also quite a number of performances that I do for spaces. And I think that that is very important, especially spaces that have been through ruins that are crying, that are, are, have been holed out, that have scars, um, a tree that the bark has been hit or cut. Um, and you can actually speak with the tree, you caress the tree and you ask the, tell the tree, ask the tree for forgiveness and also um, give moments and time to speak healing words to the tree or to a stone. And so for me, it's like, it's not only that relationship with human beings, but it's that relationship with elements and things that you come across, that you meet along the way, and that you can spend time um, to be with, to repair in a different way. Um, and also learning how to repair a tree with mud so that it can have time for it to heal, to cover the bark so it can slowly regenerate again. So I'll just go through this, um, um, just thinking of um, carrying of life and the connection of the body and life and connecting it also to the idea of the karyatids and how that in relation to the body carrying life being the column. But, and these were the ways of thinking around the project as a support structure, capital flow project in 2017 up till now, and it's ongoing. Um, um, relating that to the body as the carrier, the female body also within spaces like the Southern regions, Nigeria, India, different parts of the world where the woman carries the daily life on her head, the thing that brings money to the family, the thing that feeds the other. Um, and also relating that to people carrying the last life when they have to flee. And so that notion of carrying life and carrying things on the body became very strong and relating it to different time frames, different geographical spaces and different places that are also in different kinds of conflicts. Um, but um, it was a way of, for me to think, I was really wondering what kind of um, structure would I be using to think around the project after flow, which is actually a support system. And I was looking at columns and I was looking at architectural structures 
and different kinds of like neoclassical or classical um, architecture into vernacular African architecture. And, but my interest and my way of looking um, brought me to the Muscum architecture, which I felt was a base to be able to put my work on um, and to think through as, um, as a kind of form that incorporates that notion of care. It incorporates it in the sense that the kinds of material it's even the, that one considers to use is taken from the soil that one leaves on. And these are mud houses that are built by the people that live within the region, the Muscum people. And every and the way of designing this was to make sure that the even the design on the um, the the voots itself had would allow the rain to will flow and would it's designed in a way that the waters can flow down and it creates the gorges and the ridges that the water falls down from but at the same time since it's made with mud every year or every two years or when the building needs repair then the community works together to repair the building and for me, it made sense to be able to use this as a way to think through um, the projects or the ways I'm working, that how can one make work that is designed in a way that it brings in that notion of care within the work itself, that it can, um, a part can fall apart, but it doesn't mean that it's, um, it's, um, how do you say it's destroyed compared to the idea of the column, which you have a beam, if one of the columns fall, then everything becomes wobbly. But with this, if you if one of the circles are actually destroyed, it doesn't affect the rest. But it with that destruction, or let's say with that part that is erased or taken out, you can it gives space for a new or a different kind of construction that can be made. That means it can allow for innovation. It can allow for ways of like um, rethinking a specific space um, because it doesn't affect immediately the other um, circles within the architectural framework. But another thing that was important to me was the middle. And that part is the courtyard, the part where the food is made and where the communication takes place. So that notion of the voice and the stomach and the brain becomes the place that is connected to that courtyard. All the houses, the doors face the courtyard. So no matter what, when you go out, you are in the middle of a place of communication, of feeding and of relaxing. If we look at, for example, in 1860 something, I can't remember the date precisely, the Benin Empire in Nigeria had all the, you know, was one of the biggest empire. They were the ones controlling the, the, the price of bronze, or we call it brass. And so even when the British will come and bring the, the brass, they would tell the British what the price would be. But Around the 19th century, the British completely destroyed that empire and took away all the bronzes and completely erased and destroyed the knowledges that had been passed over, that had been held for centuries from, you know, 
before 12th century till when the things were destroyed. What has that done within the Benin city region of Nigeria? What it's done is that it's completely erased the, the, the possibility of seeing what that power was and what it is to have power within a region, what it is to also relate to your histories when it's invisible, when it's not in front of you, when it's been taken away from you. And what does that, how does that affect the knowledges that are transmitted from one generation to another generation? And you see this effect, and if you see this effect happening in many parts of the African continent where many things have been uprooted, destroyed, um, erased, taken out of context. And how, do, how does one transmit that knowledge when you do not have reference? How do you transmit also the notion of care or the notion of understanding what to care for when things have been erupted, destroyed, and taken out? How do you relate to the local um, landscape when you cannot find something that holds you to it? So there are all those kinds of residues and relationships with material, with history that um, are affected when the histories and the people have been extracted or um, how do you say, um, and things have been destroyed or things have been taken out of, what does that do to the people that live in that area? Promise No Promises is a podcast series produced by the Gender Center for Excellence a research project of the Institute Art, Gender and Nature, FHNW Academy of Art and Design in Basel, conceived as a think tank tasked to assess, develop and propose new social languages and methods to understand the role of gender in the arts, culture, science and technology, as well as in all knowledge areas that are interconnected with the field of culture today. If you're interested to get more information about further podcasts and events related to this project, please visit detank.ch. That's detank.ch. Or subscribe to our newsletter at info.kunst.hgk at fhnw.ch. That's info.kunst.hgk at fhnw.ch. Moderated and curated by Chus Martinez and Quinn Latimer. Editing and voiceover, Elena Ziesar. Music, Niklas Kammermeier. Research team, Marion Ritzmann, Tabea Rotfuchs and Alice Wilke. Press and communication, Anna Franke and Sarina Scheidegger. Technical support by Karin Bohrer, Chris Handberg, Esther Hunziger and Konrad Siegel. Copyright by Institute Art, Gender, Nature, HGK, FHNW 2022.